I think Jesus, we could all agree, would probably make a great politician. Well, actually, no. I mean, he got killed for being king. But, I mean, at some point, he would have made a great politician since that he sidesteps a lot of questions. And so uh, the question that he sidesteps today, Lord, will only a few people be saved? And he doesn't answer the question. We don't know if only a few people will be saved. There's no certainty about, like, it's not like law school or something where God just takes the top 10%. Um, or, yeah, or like a certain 144,000 must be saved. But all he says is to strive to enter through the narrow gate. And so the question then remains, well, how narrow is this gate? What is this narrow gate? The answer is probably about six feet, probably about the wingspan of Christ, because Christ himself is the narrow gate. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, the only one through whom we have salvation. So striving to enter through the narrow gate while it might seem constricting, as we hear in other Gospels, you know, the, the gate is, the road is broad, that leads to destruction. Um, but the gate is narrow, that leads to life. It seems like what Christ is simply saying is, if you just live a very disciplined life, then you'll be saved. But let's think about taking narrow paths. How about how wide I'm amazed, like when you look at a a track when people are running in the Olympics how wide a track is it's not very wide at all even if you're running countless miles because it is a marathon to the road of salvation that that track is very narrow not because like yeah these athletes need something to keep them in the lanes well as much as if you're going to a certain place you want to get to that place most efficiently. You probably don't want to wander from side to side, but you want to go on a straight line. If we understand that Christ is the only way, truth, and life, then we will strive to enter the narrow gate. Then we will stay within the track lanes that is the marathon of salvation. But that becomes a little scary when we hear this latter half of this parable that Christ gives. Whenever these people come to Christ and they say, Lord, open the door for us. And he says in reply, I do not know where you are from. What's scary about it is that he says, and then you will say, we ate and drank in your company and you taught in our streets. We went to Mass with you. We ate and drank in your company. And we heard the sermons at Mass. We heard the word proclaimed. And Christ's response, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. Now, of course, it's not the way that like this ends, right? It's not saying, like, yeah, if you eat and drink in my company and hear what I have to say, then guess you're not going to make it. No, no, no. What Christ is doing here is he's quoting this Old Testament parable in which there is the doorkeeper and those knocking at the door. And those who do not come in are those evildoers, he says, that he does not know. And so this is why he says that people come from the north, south, east, west, is because they are the one that will strive to enter through the narrow gate by doing the will of the Father. 
by doing the will of the Father. Sometimes we think that because we're in the track meet that we're, that we're going to win the race. You know, like because I am within the Catholic Church, there's nothing more to be done. And maybe even because I do attend Sunday Mass, or maybe even because I do pray regularly, there's nothing more to be done. But Christ wants to conform us by doing his will, by doing his will, which is as simple as the love of God and the love of neighbor as oneself. This way, we enter the narrow gate because we become Christ. We become Christ and share his life. And so I just want to leave uh, this brief homily with just a few questions, a few questions. One, do I honestly believe that Christ is the way and the truth and the life? That no other life can be found outside of him? That my ultimate happiness comes from him? Two, do I believe that his commands are life-giving? Because we heard in the responsorial psalm, go out and tell all the world the good news. What doesn't seem like good news is saying, Hey, look, here's the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And all you have to do is be incredibly disciplined and miserable, and you will have life. It doesn't seem like good news. But it does seem like good news if we take real joy in serving the Lord. It does seem like good news if we embrace the Lord's commands and we ponder his law day and night. Then that is good news, because we are convicted that he is our life. And then third, and most immediate, what obstacles do I have? In my, uh, what am I holding on to that the Lord is not letting me, not taking? Because it is a scary thought to think that, yes, we know the Lord, we eat and we drink with him, we go to Mass, we pray, we have all the church friends, but there's this, when I go to pray, there's something in my life that I'm not giving to him and I know that he wants. And so in the same way that maybe a person would go to the confessional and say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, there's only one problem. I am uh, sleeping with someone who is not my wife and I intend to go back to that relationship. The priest is going to say, I'm sorry, you have good intention, but you're going to go and sin again. In the same way we do that with the Lord in prayer. You say, like, here are the obstacles that I'm not willing to let go of. And the Lord's going to say, sorry, I do not know you. You know, like, you are not letting me transform you into myself. And so to ask the Lord and ask ourselves, is he truly the way, the truth, and the life? Do we delight in his commands? And what obstacles keep us from coming to dine with him in his kingdom?